Hello and welcome to today's PropCast. I'm Andrew Teacher from Blackstock Consulting and today we're going to be talking about uh, regeneration outside of London and also looking at some of the uh, issues around diversity and inclusion in the construction industry. I'm going to be joined by Sarah Hughes who's Associate Director for MACE Develop which is the development arm of MACE, the international consultancy and construction business best known for delivering projects like the Shard, the London Eye and the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And one of the big schemes that MACE Develop has underway at the minute is the SG1 regeneration of Stevenage Town Centre. An exciting opportunity to uh, regenerate and, and give life back to one of England's original new towns. Sarah Hughes, your Associate Director at Mace's Develop Business, which is the development arm of Mace. Can you just give us a bit of an intro into Mace Develop? Because obviously many people listening to this will be very familiar with Mace as a main contractor, but will be less familiar with Mace Develop, the, the, the many people won't necessarily be aware that you are actually a developer in your own right. So you know, that, that's obviously quite interesting because you, you've got some some pretty cool projects on the go, haven't you? Hello, Andrew. Um, yes, I think that's probably right. I think you know, I think people are probably pretty used to seeing the the Mace logo splashed around building sites, and perhaps aren't quite as aware of our um, of our development side of the business. So as you say, it's it's part of the wider Mace Group business. Um, and we've been around for a few years now and we've built up quite a substantial portfolio, we like to think. So we're um, mainly focused in sort of residential mixed use and student sectors uh, and we're, we're growing all the time. And it's great to be here today and to be talking a little bit about some of the projects that we are involved in and in particular um, on the subject of regeneration, I think. So the one that's been in the news recently, uh, at the end of October, you, you got the green light with this this pretty pretty cool, pretty awesome scheme in Stevenage that you're doing in partnership with the with the borough council SG One. Um, do you want to tell us a bit about that? Because obviously Stevenage, um, like a lot of uh, uh, I guess a lot of former new towns, is, is seeing a bit of a, 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 a you know undergoing quite a lot of transformation. Um, we're seeing similar things in places like Milton Keynes, similar things down in Croydon with, with heaps of investment and heaps of development going in. But can you talk us through what you're doing there uh, and how that's being sort of structured with the council? Certainly. So, I mean, we're, we're absolutely thrilled to, to be involved with Stevenage and SG1, which is a 14 and a half acre site in the town centre. Uh, and as you mentioned, we've been working in partnership uh, with the council to bring this forward over the last few years now, since about 2017. Um, so, I mean, we we firmly believe it's it's going to be transformational. Uh, so we're creating new housing. Uh, we'll be bringing commercial space, retail space, uh, and I think quite excitingly as well, a lot of new public space uh, for the local. It's 1864 community. homes. It's lots of homes, isn't it? It, it's a lot of homes on brownfield land, I might add, in a town centre. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I guess it, it probably wouldn't have got planning consent if it was on greenfield land. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that that's, part that's, of the another, that's another story in, the, in this we'll, Yeah, we'll Save that for another podcast. But but, <laughs> but, the, but the interesting thing is, is that you're also uh, investing in quite a lot of uh, public health services, aren't you? And, and that that's that's pretty pretty timely uh, state-of-the-art health facilities, a library uh, and, and other workspaces to support the community. Um, was that was that quite a central plank of, of, of the plans and the conversations? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, we, you know, I think quite early on in the process, we, 
we identify that it's it's really important to bring housing into the town centre uh, to really create um, that buzz, that economic activity, uh, economic spending, uh, new opportunities for people to live uh, and to experience town centre growth, be close to amenities, facilities, uh, the existing retail experience. Um, but it really is a kind of multi-use town centre, as all town centres ought to be. Um, so we will be introducing a what we're calling a public services hub right into the centre of the of the master plan. Um, and as you've mentioned, it has various different uh, uses in and around that hub. Um, and it fronts onto a new garden square. So hopefully it will be quite literally the focal point for the town centre. Yeah. And and this shift towards town centre living, obviously we've seen that over the last five, six years with, a, a, you know, shed loads of investment going into build to rent, purpose-built student accommodation becoming yeah. a, a core asset class. In, in, and that, that, that all makes sense in London, Leeds, Manchester and so on. But it, it's, it's less easy to facilitate in out of town areas i could not out of town as it's not out of town but out of out of city areas regional hubs like stevenage so this this shift towards town center living how does that how is that going to manifest itself because obviously people are used to living out of town with with gardens and you know lots of space so does that higher level of density that that requires a new way of planning the town doesn't it yeah, I mean, I think town centre densification has probably been going on a little bit longer than that. I think it, what's interesting about Stevenage is, as people may not know, it's the it was the first new town, and I think some of those new town principles of of how people live and how people experience um, town centres and access. Um, things like shopping experiences and and all the sorts of things that you need uh, during everyday everyday life. Um, th- there was a, a time perhaps when, um, you know, in the sort of 40s and 50s where out-of-town living was seen as more of a, a sort of utopian dream, as it were. And especially when you're looking at things like new towns where um, they were often they were built in response to um, densification of places like London and, and substandard living in London. So the utopian dream was a place to park your car and, and, a, and, a, and a garden and um, you know, a standard of living that hadn't been, um, that wasn't widespread at that point. So, mm. you know, times move on and, you know, our, our view of how we use land as, as the whole country becomes more populated, sort of shifts and morphs. And I think the, the benefits of town centre living are, are generally sort of well understood. And yet certain towns, Stevenage is one of them, um, is relatively low density uh, as it stands. And yet town centre living, concentrating people, around the places that they use and need every day um mm. you know ha- has its merits and, and bringing that density and and that proximity to transport or you know your, your dentist or whatever it is and not having to rely on a car necessarily to access those things i think that's well, yeah it's interesting because actually stevenage was one of the first towns in the uk with dedicated cycleways wasn't it which it's got something. a fantastic cycle network because there's kilometers and kilometers of, of cycle network and that's that's one of the um that's one of the things that we were able to sort of weave into our design consideration as we as we evolved our our understanding and our thinking around uh, around the town center and how to make the best of those spaces in between buildings and how people 
use them not just for sort of leisure activities and cycling as a as a pastime but using things like cycling routes and walking routes as a means to travel from one place to the next as well mm. and and could could what you're doing there serve as a model for regeneration in, in other parts of of england and, and, and scotland because there's obviously a fair amount of interest now in regional development we've seen the recent deal between welcome trust and urban and civic um we've seen uh, we, we're seeing uh tons of investment going in across the cambridge oxford corridor grosvenor other companies like that have got massive developments being undertaken so is what you're doing here to essentially update uh, a new town from 75 years ago what aspects of that do you think you could pipe into other places well hopefully we're not just sort of updating the place but we're also bringing in all uh, the kind of all the good work that various different think tanks and and other places are doing to to really introduce a kind of an, a much more of an aspirational um, goal um, to, to set ourselves for the town um, rather than just kind of perhaps replicating what's been done before. So we're, it, it is very much our aspiration that what we do could be used as a model for elsewhere. You know, we're, we're, we're placing sustainability at the heart of development through from design and all the way through delivery and operations. Um, this is something that you know, hasn't necessarily been done on a development of this complexity um, in terms of the what does that? What's that going to mean in practice? Because obviously, you know, you've got, there's lots of smart people in Stevenage. Uh, it's the home no, of, uh, of, of, uh, of, of GSK. They, they have been there. Um, they're inventing all sorts of amazing stuff. British Aerospace has a huge base there. It's where the Mars rover was built by Airbus um so there's 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 i guess there's going to be lots of engineers in the in the area that will probably kick the tires of of what you're doing um so what what I hope you know, so. uh, what what will what does sustainability look like because i guess it's it's something now that's coming very much to the fore um with with policies like the future home standard and and debates around that and how we as a country and our government tackles uh the the climate agenda um, so what are some of the things that, that MACE is planning with this scheme that, that are going to, uh, I guess, deal with that challenge? Yeah. I mean, sustainability has become a bit of a capture-all umbrella term, hasn't it? And it means lots of things to lots of different people. So as you mentioned, there's there's this fantastic economic base in Stevenage with the, all these different huge multinational companies sort of on the doorstep, pro- probably all with different ideas. And we've been engaging with... Um, with a bunch of those guys um, during the consultation process, and again, using and taking their feedback and helping helping shape uh, and evolve the design of we move forward. So, as a business, we we've committed uh, at, at the beginning of this year to be a net zero carbon business by the end of the year. Um, so, with SG One, um, we want to show how large scale development can be sort of designed and delivered and managed whilst keeping that focus on lowering carbon emissions. So some of the plans uh, directly um, for the properties on SG1 um, is we're installing things like on-site photovoltaics to power buildings. Uh, We'll be looking at electrical vehicle charging points. But I think on a more sort of strategic level, um, we're looking to set, as I said, that new aspirational way of living guided by those sustainability principles so whether it's walking or cycling or 
we're creating, we're really greening up the town centre. You can have a Boris-style zip wire. I mean, we could. I mean, have we considered that? I'm not sure. Not sure whether we, that was a that might have been on the drawing board at one point. Do you think that adds? Yeah. A, do you think that would enhance the sustainability credentials of Stevenage? It depends how you powered it, I suppose. If you, maybe if you maybe we weren't all. thinking outside the box. I mean, we've, <laughs> we've been thinking along perhaps way too traditional lines of things. Well, I guess I'm, I'm thinking that right. So, and new green I'm, I'm thinking Stevenage is is 90 minutes from London, right? So you know, yeah. there's obviously progress being made right now on the Hyperloop. So you know, maybe there is some kind of massive zip wire type thing that the boffins at Mace can create to get you into London in 18 yeah. minutes, not have to worry about bloody. Uh, by going about with the trains at King's Cross. But, you uh, can just oil um, the train tracks. <laughs> the trains <laughs> go that, a bit yeah. faster. But, but in terms of, I, I guess, uh, you know, when, I remember when, when Len Lease were doing all the stuff at Stratford took 10, 11 years ago and everyone was getting mm -hmm. very excited about district heating systems and district energy systems to, to, to bring down carbon emissions. Uh, what's your kind of view on that right now? Well, you know, you're obviously you're building nearly 2,000 homes and, and a whole heap of other stuff. These things have massive impacts and massive demands on power. And as we move towards charging cars, um, you know, the, the, the view from a lot of the, the, the people on the motor uh, auto industry seems to be that we, we don't have enough power. You know, we don't have yeah. enough, of a, enough, enough of a focus on, uh, on, on UK power networks being able to actually deal with all of this stuff. And, and that's why it's quite interesting that you talk about charging because you know, you know, downstream, if, 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 you know, if, if you're able to bring your electric car back to your house and power your TV and your kettle from your car and then refill your car from uh, the, the grid in the middle of the night when, much, when there's much cheaper supply of energy. So all of these things become a lot more interesting and, and you guys as developers and engineers um, you know, I guess you've got a lot more to do than you, you would have had to do 75 years ago when all this stuff was originally built. Yeah, I mean, I think you, 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 what you're really talking about there is, is future-proofing infrastructure and, and how do we make that provision um, and forecasting into the future um, what that draw um, is likely to be. I mean, just in terms of um, car use, I mean, we're that's one of the that's one of the advantages of densifying town centres is that you can move away from that sort of reliance on on your own car and as you've said it's sort of 19 minutes into London so if you are are one of those uh, commuters um, who are living who are, have aspirations to live in Stevenage town centre hopefully there's a you know there's an alternative means of transport to get to work it's well connected with buses um, we're designing these uh, buildings within the master plan um, to encourage less of a reliance on cars, acknowledging that, you know, for some people that is the only way to travel perhaps, um, mm. but introducing other means for people to, to circulate, making walking, you know, a, a, a more pleasant experience and more on more attractive routes, cycling, big cycle stalls in each building, um, car club opportunities, all those sort of, sort of looking at it holistically about how to, uh, and it all feeds back into that sort of sustainability strategy, as it were, to, to encourage um, sustainable travel. Um, but yeah, not notwithstanding the, all the future projections on on power needs and that sort of power infrastructure is something that's very much on her, our horizon. It's something that we've been factoring into the plans. Mm. And and in terms of um, 
you know, off-site manufacturing and, and modular housing, which have, have become equally big buzz phrases over the last couple of years. Um, do you as a business have a view on that um, in, in terms of using off-site manufacturing to reduce energy use, to reduce embodied carbon, to reduce operational carbon emissions, just by the buildings being less leaky and, and, and more um, having better thermal performance? I mean, off-site manufacturing is something that we're hugely invested in and, and you know, we're, we're looking at it um, across the whole of the Mace Group business um, all the way, f you know, from our development end of the business through consultancy and contracting and into operations about how that how that works in practice and, and learning from real-life examples of where it's, you know, where it's used and we're, we're constantly refining those opportunities and, and figuring out what's most appropriate um, mm. you know a bespoke response I guess for e for each project but you yeah. know the, the benefits of it are are huge and moving to a sort of production based model um is is something that the business is particularly keen on mm. I know on a slightly different tact um you're not just leading this uh sg1 regeneration project you're also uh, heavily involved with promoting female leadership within the business and within the the, the sector uh, you co-chair the Women at Mace Group. Um, what what does that do? And, and how far do you think the construction sector has come over the last years in tackling uh, gender diversity and, and other types of diversity within, within the sector, within the businesses? So, yeah, I'm the co-chair of our uh, Women at Mace Network, which is a diversity and inclusion network. Um, focused on gender issues uh does what it says on the tin as it were so it's um i set up this network um just over a year ago a year or so ago um how many people are there how many people are in it we've got somewhere between 150 200 members cool um, quite a lot uh, and is that is that all the women at mace it's not all the women at Mace, uh, and, and the reason I'm being vague is because it's how do you term who's a member and who's an ally? We had this discussion the other day. So I think when we initially set up a year or so ago, um, I think the business was probably in quite a different place from where it is now. So I think just on a business level, we've quite dramatically um, focused or uh, refocused on diversity and inclusion generally, um, mm. and you know, we've we've gone from no members to, to quite a lot of members. Uh, and there's a huge, the huge amount of interest um, from across the business in, in what that actually means. What does it mean to be a member and, and what, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to achieve with an employee network, which is a sort of a bottom up um, organisation? So I think you hinted at there, the, the industry as a whole um, doesn't have a great reputation. Um, for being inclusive and the average gender pay gap um, is one of the worst industries and I think as a business we're you know we have a role to play in that we're, we're a large corner of the industry um, and we're very much uh, now focused on diversity inclusion as a general topic um, but quite specifically with women at MACE we're, we're looking to our uh, businesses gender pay gap uh, and that has many 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 spin-offs there are many things that that feed into that um gender pay gap which we're all now mandated to report on um yeah it's gender pay gap is 20 percent 
cross construction according to the RACS, um, which is lower than it was, but still pretty pretty chunky. The industry is moving, but it, interestingly, it hasn't moved a whole lot in the last few decades. Um, there hasn't been a whole amount of pro, uh, a whole lot of progress, um, and it's there's not really any excuse in this day and age. I think it's it's very topical. I feel. Uh, diversity and inclusion generally. I think a lot of the movements over the past six months to a year have really thrown a sort of international spotlight on what diversity and what inclusion means, um, both at a societal level um, and how that filters into businesses. It's it's all part of the same thing, really. Mm. You know. But it's also part, of, I, I think, I, I guess the other thing is it's also... Um, it's, it's not just about people like you standing up being counted and being role models for other people it's companies like mace seeking to 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 change the rules of the game a little bit further down the chain because you know for every person like yourself that that's, that's doing really amazing stuff and and leading these huge projects there'll be a bunch of people that never even considered a career in construction at all won't they i think you're exactly right. We've got to look at the pipeline um, and who's coming into the industry because obviously they're the leaders of the industry um, in a couple of decades. Who, you know, who are those people? What are they bringing? But importantly for the people like us that are in the industry, you know, what kind of environment um, currently exists and what do we want to be telling the future generation about the industry? What does it look like? What does it stand for? What are our values? Who do we want to be? What sorts of things do we want to focus on tackling? You know, is it net zero carbon? Is it is it the diversity inclusion agenda? Is it is it all those things? Um, because I think people um, people are a lot more clued up about what they're what they're getting into when they're looking at you know careers and and jobs. What you know what are people identifying with? Um, it's not just necessarily how much you're going to pay me. It was it's what do you stand for? Who are you? And do I want to align myself with this? So I think it's it's the responsibilities on us to to you know define and articulate those things. And if it's if we're not um, living what we our aspirations, then there's an opportunity there to to make changes. And I think that's something we we firmly believe. So there's an awareness raising piece, but I think you know we're really focused on. Act, making positive and active changes both within our business and and the industry as a whole if you don't have a voice at the table as i like to say um then you're not necessarily being heard and we're you know our industry creates the physical environment it creates the places that people inhabit every single moment of your day you exist in the in the real world in the physical world so you, you need to be represented, your know, needs need to be met. And how do we do that? And as an industry professional, we have a really critical and important role in helping shape how people live out their lives. Mm. So I mean, what would you like to see then more collectively from the construction and the, the property sector? Because there's obviously, you know, there's, there's tons of different groups and different trade bodies and, you know, the surveyors and the BPF and, you align and lots of other things the construction sector itself has 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 never been hugely it's never it's never cut through in the same way for example that that uh that the house builders have for example the house builders have got the hbf they lobby on something it happens the construction sector to me through my years with the bpf and and, and on on the executive uli has always struck me as a little bit more disparate um and, and not necessarily aligned as an as a sort of industry in itself is that is that something you recognise? Is that a barrier? 
sort of alignment of the industry, do you mean? Yeah, as in main contractors coming together and having a single voice across all those businesses. So you guys and, and other people, you know, the, the Lango Rorks, the McLarens, whoever else that, 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 that sort of sits in your patch, aligning with one voice that says, we need to do this to help get more people from these backgrounds into our industry. I think you've just volunteered yourself for a job there, haven't you? <laughs> like, aligning the gender the gender issues aspirations of the world uh, for the purposes of construction. Yeah, I mean, you know, have it that you're always greater than the sum of your parts. And so I think any kind of alignment within the industry is always helpful to advance a cause. And I think, you know, we've certainly seen the evidence of that when it's come to the the carbon uh, the carbon challenges. I think the industry's waking up to. Uh, the role it needs to play. Um, I think I don't think we're there yet with diversity inclusion, and I think one of the ways to um, start to shift that dial, as I say, is representation um, in the in the senior positions and having seats at the right tables and making sure your voice is heard. There's pl- there's plenty of evidence from different sectors whereby you, you you make sure you have a diversity of thought and a diversity of representation, you get different outcomes and they're often better outcomes and they're often commercially more advantageous. I think that, that would be one of the, the key areas to tackle in my mind. Mm, fantastic. Well, Sarah Hughes from Mace Develop, thank you very much for talking to me today. This has been uh, a propcast hosted by me, Andrew Teacher, Blackstock. You can subscribe to these episodes by searching Propcast on Spotify, Apple, or other podcast platforms. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Mm-hmm.